and good morning. My name is Nicole Fitz. Please join me in the reading of God's word from Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Joshua 4, 19 through 24. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal, on the eastern edge of Jericho. As for those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set them up at Gilgal, and he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time, come, in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. I'd like to welcome all of you today. I extend my welcome to, like Dave Gossett did, and also if you're new uh, to our church, we have a special welcome for you also. And uh, just uh, tell you who I am. I, if you're new, I'm Dave Johnson. Uh, I am one of the elders at the church. I'm also getting elderly, and uh, at the same time, but. Anyway, I just want to thank the worship team and Kelly for uh, leading worship this morning. Uh, Tammy Springs is off today, uh, not feeling well, but she just definitely, every once in a while, she needs a, a real break, and she's really the backbone of our worship team, but I really appreciate Kelly and his team today uh, worshiping in song. Uh, if you have your bulletin with you, and if you're in Joshua, all right, uh, if you turn your bulletin, there's about five points to what I'm going to say, and then I remembered that uh, hopefully this doesn't take a long time, and uh, because uh, usually three points usually covers the half hour, so I'm going to go through the first few uh, rather quickly, but uh, down to the last is probably the most important area, but uh, so far is the first on your, if you're taking notes or if you just have something to uh, want to put down or a question that you want to ask. And uh, so, uh, first of all, our beloved pastor was diagnosed. I just want to go back a little bit where we've been. And uh, he was diagnosed with brain cancer in February. And Pastor Gary was preaching online through the book of Philippians. On Sunday, March 14th, he had just finished chapter 3. Since then, we have filled the pulpit with several different speakers. Uh, that was the last time Gary spoke. He actually spoke online, and he, on the 7th and the 14th, he had already pre-recorded his uh, sermons because uh, those sermons, because he was going to be in uh, Montana celebrating his grandchild's birthday. But then he had the seizure, and then we know what's happened. The rest of the story there so, so far. On Palm, uh, so Mark Bassett he spoke on the twenty-first. Then on Palm Sunday, March twenty-eighth, Kevin Kevin Gwynn preached on Philippians four four to seven, and. Uh, 
So I'd like to read those verses to you. You don't have to turn there. But there's four, really, uh, really four verses here, three to four verses that are really important to us. First of all, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness uh, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then from there, uh, we had Easter, and Mark Bassett filled the pulpit on Easter. And then uh, we started the book of Joshua the next week. And Joshua is divided into two different sections, the conquest of uh, Canaan, and then the second one is the settlement in Canaan by the Israelites. And so uh, Dave Gossett did that message, and the message was be strong and courageous. And uh, so uh, then the next week was uh, Joshua 2, and we had a guest preacher, Tommy Martin from Ellensburg, and uh, he talked about Rahab the faithful. Last summer, last summer, last Sunday, Tim Bohr preached on chapter 3, walking through the water. And so, and today, I will be te- uh, teaching on uh, chapter 4, and I titled Remember, Remember, and Remember. Uh, so, uh, chapter 3 and 4 actually is really combined. Chapter 3 kind of gives the details of the story, and chapter 4 goes into why this is an important piece to try to remember. And so, anyway, so they kind of go together as we, as we read through this. And uh, I'd like to show you a couple slides. I was a history teacher for uh, 36 years. And the problem with uh, giving a sermon is that I've never given it before. But when I taught United States history for 36 years, my paper was, uh, went from white to parchment. And uh, so, anyway, I use the same notes over and over again. Because, as everyone knows, history never changes. Well, it does change. And uh, because sometimes we discover new things as we go along. But anyway, I'd like to give you a little heads up about where we're at. Yesterday, I went to, uh, I went to Staples, and I got one of these uh, red things. Okay, infrared. And this is a three-in-one pin. I almost feel like, uh, I almost feel like... Um, James Bond, because, you know, this can write, this can, as a stylus, whatever a stylus does, and then we have uh, infrared thing that I'm not supposed to point at people because it has all kinds of chemicals in it. But this is where we're, this is the map where we're talking about, and uh, this is the sea, up north is the Sea of Galilee, and actually the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then also, this is the Sea of Galilee, and then also it flows down uh, to the Dead Sea. And what we're dealing with, and you've got to be careful with this word so you pronounce it right. So anyway, I won't pronounce it. And uh, that's where the Jewish people, Israelites, were all staying, re- ready to cross the Jordan River and then and end up at the Gilgal, all right, uh, just a couple miles from Jericho. Jericho is about seven miles uh, from the Dead Sea. The reason why it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives there. It's about 30, 40% uh, dead. And uh, so uh, you don't see. I, one time we were there, I was there in 1967, and uh, I did see a dead fish. And so, uh, but it was, it was, it had come in from the Jordan and then hit all the salt water and uh, perished. But this, so this is where the crossing of the Dead Sea is. 
up there, the sea, uh, the Jordan, I mean, crossing of the Jordan River, and up there is basically where the water was held back at a place called Adam, and uh, as the, as the priest went into the river, okay, at, at uh, near uh, Gilgal, and so anyway, that's what we're dealing with. I'd like to show you a picture of uh, the Jordan River. This is Jordan River uh, at flood stage, and uh, this was taken by Google. I didn't take this, but you can see the Jordan River is quite rapid, uh, right, and flowing quite quickly, uh, and there seems to be a lot of rocks in the river, and we'll get to the rocks in a few minutes. And then there's another, uh, so that's real close to where uh, Jericho is. And then there's another, a couple other pictures. Uh, that's yours truly right there. And that's my wife, and we were on a trip in 2016, and we, uh, one of the places we went to the Jordan River. If you notice, the Jordan River is not at flood stage. That's about as wide as our canal. That's all the wider the Jordan River is when it's not flooding. But uh, when, the, when the Jewish people went across the Jordan River, it was at flood stage. I think I might have one more. There's the, there it is from a little further away. I went with Charles uh, Chuck Swindoll's uh, tour, Vicki and I did, and it was amazing that one of my former high school students and a kid that played baseball for me paid for the whole thing. So it was about $10,000. So anyway, uh, that was quite a gift. Vicki had never been to the, uh, Israel. I had been in 67. And by the way, the history has changed. They've discovered all kinds of things about uh, uh, the country of Israel since I went there in 1967. Okay, the second part is, uh, is a God who is exact on your notes, a God of order and God of detail. And it's really interesting as you read through this how God really uh, tells Jer Joshua what you have, should do, what you should be doing, all right? And if even, even if you go back to when they were in the desert, wandering in the desert because of disobedience, uh, you, found, you saw the fact that uh, how you made the tabernacle, if you ever read that section, which is not the most exciting for us, but what happens is that it's so detailed, everything had to be done just right. And God, we have a God of order. We have a God of detail as we uh, worship our God. And uh, he wanted this done, he wanted that done, and so forth. And even here, you see at the first part of, uh, of the book in Joshua 4, Okay, this chapter, what happens is he chooses 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. He tells them to take, this is what God tells jo Joshua, tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you. Put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Uh, so I, you just remind, I'm reminded of the great detail God had, okay, uh, to instructions for Moses and Aaron how to build the tent of meeting, even how to create the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord, which was an interesting little piece of equipment. Okay, it carried in some special things from the desert, all right, that was a reminder to the Jewish people how God has taken care of them. Uh, did Joshua obey God? Of course, he had been obeying and submitting to God from the time he left Egypt. And spending 40 years in the desert, Joshua said, to the twelve, one from each tribe, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder. Now that was added, okay, 
God told him this, and then Joshua said, you know, I want a big stone. And if you had to carry a stone on your shoulder, you know, it probably was fairly large size. It would be very hard to carry it, maybe just in front of you like that. So anyway, he and these 12 men probably weren't people like myself, okay, who carried it. It would probably be somebody like Tobin Springs, okay, about six, seven, two. Well, anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, a certain weight and that he was a strong man. And so Joshua said, you guys carry that on your shoulder, bring it to the shore, and we'll stack it up here. And by the way, it's a temp- temporary stacking. And so each of you is supposed to take a stone on your shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, which was 12. Is to a, and we're going to make a sign of, that people will remember. And so that's, a, that's a God being exact, detailed, and one of order. And uh, it's really interesting, once they get into uh, the uh, country, the promised land, one of the first battles, he had a certain order, and somebody, this is two weeks from now, I think, somebody uh, uh, disobeyed that order, and the whole nation was punished because of that, and they were defeated for the first time. And so the third aspect is, I think, uh, God exalts Joshua. And uh, chapter 3, verse 7 he, he mentions that today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with, with you as I was with Moses. And, uh, and then it goes on uh, in chapter 4, verses 10 to 14. He says on verse 14, That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Revere means to show devoted, deferential honor to, regard as worthy of great honor. Deferential is an adjective here, and it means distinctive, all right, a special type of calling. And so God exalts him in front of the Israeli people because what, uh, what Joshua had to deal with, I think, is uh, sometimes what we have to deal with in our life. I was a coach for most of my uh, teaching years. And so, anyway, Moses would be a hard act to follow. People knew that God revered, God exalted Moses, and the people revered Moses. Even though they gave him a bad time, they still revered him. And so what happens here, now you have Joshua coming on, and Joshua was mentored by Moses. In fact, Joshua was the only person to go up to the Mount Sinai. He went about halfway, and then Moses went the rest of the way, okay, to receive the Ten Commandments. So Joshua was, was with Moses all the time, and, uh, and he was learning from Moses to take over. And the book of Joshua, one of the themes is it's a book of leadership. The leaders of Moses, Moses passes away, doesn't get to go into the promised land because he got angry, like we heard a couple of weeks ago, and instead of saying the water to come up, he took his, uh, took his staff and he banged the ground in anger. And he, that cost him. That cost him. He, did what, he got to see what the promised land was, but he was not going to go into the promised land. And so anyway, Joshua is, takes over the leadership. And I think it's really important that God exalted Joshua because now the people said he is just like Moses. Uh, there was a coach at UCLA, a basketball coach. And his name was John Wooden. And as a young coach growing up, I admired him. And I try to follow his example as a coach and as a person. 
and I've read several books about him and so forth, being a longtime coach myself. And uh, he was the most successful basketball coach. He won 10 national championships, NC2A Division I national championships. And uh, he, was an, he was a legacy. He was a legend. He was an icon at UCLA basketball. Pity the person that had to follow him. You, if you're going to follow somebody as a coach, you hope that person before you was 0-20. Okay, that means zero wins and 20 losses, all right? But when you win 10 national championships, seven of them in the row, and the last time he coached, okay, was a national championship. The next coach lasted about a year or two. The next coach lasted about the same. Finally, about 10, 12 years later, another coach won the national championship. But the issue was it's hard to follow somebody that's been so great. And Moses was a tremendous leader. And Moses was a servant of God. And here along comes Joshua. They said Joshua is rather shy, a shy person. Moses was, they say, one of the most humble people, especially when he goes and says, you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? I can't speak very well. Send somebody else. And, so, you know, he argues with God. Isn't it amazing that oftentimes we argue with God? The God Almighty, the God of the universe, how ridiculous are we sometimes, Okay. Thank goodness they did the same thing in the Bible, so hopefully we learn that. Then the, the fourth thing on your outline is a memorial to God. And uh, when they came up to the water on the western bank, okay, in other words, when they made it through, in chapter 3, they talk about making it through. In chapter 4, they talk about what do you do now? And I suppose if you're a military leader ready to go conquer the land, you probably figure as soon as you cross, we're probably going to see enemies. And by the way, uh, Moses told, told Joshua that, uh, that told from God that you take some of the tribes that are going to live, okay, east of the Jordan River, you, they're going to come over, they're going to help fight for you. And I'm sure if you're a military leader, you say, as soon as we cross the Jordan, let's get a good, nice rest, and let's go up there and let's take Jericho, because we've got to go to war now, we've got to take over this place. But you know, God has a different plan. What God wanted to do, and God told Joshua, we're going to make a memorial. And when the people had come up out of the water, or out of the, actually the dry land, but it was, you know, the Jordan River, all right, an additional parallel with the Exodus became apparent. They had crossed the River Jordan during Passover. And it, just, it was just a few days before Passover. Isn't it interesting how God works? Because 40 years earlier, they had crossed the, the uh, Red Sea, all right, about at time of basically right around that Passover season when they, okay, escaped from uh, Egypt, then escaped, they let them go, and then the Egyptians followed them. So here we go uh, uh, all over again. In fact, one of my heroes uh, uh, in baseball was uh, Yogi Berra when I was growing up. Yogi's best known for his sayings. But he was a tremendous baseball uh, catcher. I was a catcher. And I didn't get very much instruction, but on Saturdays, usually the Yankees were on TV because that's where uh, the news stations were at that time in New York City. So I watched him. I used to copy him, how do you throw a baseball as a catcher, and so forth. But Yogi Bear, which is, was a fantastic catcher, he actually has more World Series rings. He just passed away a couple years ago. He has 10 World Series rings, and nobody has come close to that. But Yogi Berra is basically known for his sayings. And one of the sayings was, deja vu all over again. 
And uh, so he gave, he gave the word deja vu, then he gave the definition of it. So anyway, he also went into a pizza place once, and the guy says, do you want your pizza cut in eight slices or four? He says, no, I think I can only eat four. So anyway, uh, that was the Yogi Bearisms. He has a whole book on it. On Monday, I was up at Pastor Gary's from noon to 5 o'clock with uh, Keevan, and uh, we were t- trying to help take care of uh, Pastor Gary and so forth, and I pulled out my Yogi book, and I read all the sayings and quotes that he basically uh, mastered the English language. And so anyway, what happens is that they go over, and so just as they cross the Red Sea during Passover, thus they had the final culmination of the Exodus. They're all ready to go in. It's hard to, wouldn't you be excited? You know, they say there's millions of people, probably two to three million, okay, Israelites ready to go in. It just wasn't a town of our size. And so they're going to cross the Jordan River. And so what happens is that here they are ready to go into the promised land. And if you remember, 12 spies went in to spy it out, and they came back and they say, it's, it's an unbelievable land compared to where we've been, or, and so forth. And so, but they said, the men are like uh, a certain group of people, and I looked it up, and it, it, they were huge. And so these guys, and I can imagine some exaggerated just a bit, but they came back and said, we have no chance of making it. And what happened is God said, you know what? Uh, you who are 20 years or older, you will not go into the promised land. You will be in the desert for 40 years until this generation passes on. And, so, and by the way, the two men that said, yeah, we can do it with God's help and so forth, and that was Caleb and that was Joshua. And guess what? Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years just like the rest of the Israelites. And so anyway, it's interesting. I've lived here for 50 years. And 40 years is a long time to wait to get into the land that was promised to you, okay, throughout the scripture. And so anyway, uh, they, uh, they get to the Jordan River, and they're about ready to go in, and the priests go in first, the Levites, and they had the Ark of the Covenant, okay, the Ark of the Lord, and they go in, and the land dries up. It was really amazing not only at the, uh, at the Dead Sea, but also at the Jordan River, it was not muddy. Now, that's a miracle just in itself. That, so the water was pushed back. In chapter 3, it talks about the Jordan River was a heap. <laughs> and that's kind of a weird, you know. In other words, in, at, when they crossed the Dead Sea, there's two walls of water, it talks about. And they, they crossed on dry land. And when he went to the Jordan River, they crossed on dry land. So God not only stopped the flow of the Jordan River, he also dried out that land. And uh, so they went in and, uh, and said, The Lord your God dried up the waters before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord had done in the Red Sea. As the Lord was with Moses in the first generation, leading them into the promised land, all right, the Lord was also with the second generation, third generation going into the land. So here's all these people gathered. They're ready to go in. They have an army of about 40,000 from the other two and a half tribes that were going to stay on the eastern bank. They were told to go in and help them fight. And so they went in and they passed and the, uh, and the river dried up and they went across the river. And so in the, in the 
Levites, the priests, were sitting there with the Ark of the Covenant, stopping the flow of the river. Now, I think I would call that a miracle that took place. Some people speculate and said maybe there was a landslide. All right? Well, if there's a landslide, that's fine. But what happened to that landslide? All right? In other words, something, you know, it backed up the water. It made a big dam. Okay, then how did that landslide go away if that's a landslide? It was the hand of Moses, uh, not Moses, of Joshua, all right, that basically proceeded to um, stop the water and stop the water all the way back to Adam, a little uh, community called Adam. And so anyway, they go in. You know, the United States of America, we have hundreds and thousands or thousands of memorials. In fact, uh, we have a day called Memorial Day. Uh, it's a federal holiday for honoring and mourning the military personnel who have died in the performance of their military duties while serving the United States Armed Forces. And so we have a lot of memorials in our uh, own country. It's amazing that uh, this last year in our country that some groups uh, tried to wipe out some of our statues and some of our memorials. Memorials, okay, and statues in our history is very important. And usually when someone wants to take over another country, what basically happens, you try to get rid of their history. You try to get rid of their history so they can't remember. Okay, communist China did that, okay, with their ancestral worship and how the family is so important in China. Uh, Russia did their best to try to get rid of most uh, memorials that maybe had some influence that was anti-communist at the time and so forth. And even groups of people in America are trying to get rid of part of our history or to revise our history. Some people believe today that the Holocaust, okay, even some historians believe that the Holocaust never took place in Germany during 1930, 30s to 1945, the elimination of the Jewish, trying to eliminate the Jewish people. And so anyway, we have memorials, and here they have a memorial. And so anyway, they... They say, what we're going to do is we're going to pile these rocks. One thing the Jewish people did not want to do is make any graven image. So they took these big rocks and they stuck them in a pile right across to the other side. And uh, so God, God talks to Joshua. And uh, first of all, everyone's crossed and the Levites are still out there, okay, holding on to the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know if this is humor or not, but I'm kind of, I, th I kind of chuckled when I thought about this, and what happened is that these guys are still out there. And everyone's crossed over, okay, and even they took some rocks back in chapter, verse 9, which was kind of a confusing verse when you deal with the NIV and you deal with the NASB and the King James Version. But anyway, Joshua goes and he takes, uh, takes some other rocks and he puts them in the Jordan River, and they're supposed to be there, it says, to this day. Now, this day basically means not today. Not, there's no evidence of the rocks there today. Uh, it was, but in Joshua's time, they've stayed there. They built up a rock formation right where the priests were, okay, were standing. And, and by the way, and God says to Joshua, I don't know if he said this exactly. By the way, Joshua, why don't you get the priests out of there, okay? And I bet those priests were sitting there for a long time, all right, just waiting. It's a... Hey, let's go. Okay, let's get me out of here. Get, me, get us to the other side. And when they got to the other side, what happened? You see, the waters came back, and it was that flood stage again. And uh, so God did a miracle uh, right there. And why did he do that miracle? 
And the last verse of chapter 4, okay, verse 24, is summed up with two purpose clauses. First, God delivered the people through the Jordan that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The hand of the Lord. Moses used the hand of the Lord to separate the sea, Red Sea. He also used the hand of the Lord, his hand, okay, and he went back and the waters came crashing down on all the Egyptians. And the same thing happened here is that the hand of the Lord was mighty. A hand basically means power oftentimes. The hand of the Lord. That's all he had to do. And he stopped the water and then he let the water flow again. And uh, so uh, what it was is this is all the peoples of the earth may know that I am a mighty God. I am the only God. The reasons for Israel's existence had always been not because they're a special group of people. God made them special, all right, because he, he, they were always there to glorify the Lord and to draw others to him. Just like we as Christians, we are here to glorify the Lord and draw others to uh, 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 Jesus Christ. Second, this was so that they may fear the Lord, their God, always. Israel was always to love and fear God. It's difficult to love and fear a God who is uh, consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says God is a, a God of consuming fire, of those who don't know him. Uh, he, he's also, in 10, Hebrews 10, 31, into whose hands it is terrifying to fall, okay, uh, under God Almighty. So there's a fear of God, and there's also a love of God. What a contrast. Okay, the Father... Who uh, uh, the, the the heavenly the same heavenly Father that sent His Son to be our Savior by dying on the cross uh, is the same uh, Father God the Father who retrieves the lost sheep who you read about in uh, the book in the New Testament and welcomes a prodigal son. So basically, He's a fearful God and He's also a very loving God, and that's hard to comprehend totally when you deal with that. My dad, I had a lot of respect for my dad. I oftentimes uh, 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 equated my dad for uh, what God would probably might be like. And I know that my dad was a sinner just like everybody else. But my dad, I had a lot of respect for my dad. One of the things I did not want to do is I didn't want to displease, okay, my father and my mother. And, uh, and at times I, had, I did. But I just remember, okay, here's God Almighty. We need to have a reverent fear for him. And he is the one that's in control of this world. And he is the one that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. And uh, so in the, book of Sol in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes through and talks about life and uh, so forth. Solomon was an interesting character. But at the end of Ecclesiastes, he sums up life. He says, now all has been heard. This is the message that he gave. If you read Ecclesiastes, he talks about everything is meaningless. Okay, goods are meaningless. This is meaningless. Only thing that really means something is God the Father. And this is a conclusion. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of men. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And oftentimes we glibly go over that. But whatever we do, good or bad, God knows about. Isn't it amazing? 
We also know that, what, thank goodness, we have a forgiving God. <laughs> because every day is, a, is not a perfect day for me. All right? I once did, wanted to have a perfect season in baseball. Came down to the state championship. We were ahead. Okay, we were beating them 7-2. to two, And we ended up losing 14-8. Okay, first undefeated season I would ever have as a coach. Okay, what went wrong? Everything. So anyway, uh, that happens. Application, so what? My, I was talking to my sister last night, and I said, you know, one of the things, uh, I was talking to my sister and said, do you ever, uh, we had devout Christian parents, and uh, all three of us are uh, walking with the Lord and so forth. And what happens is that did, did mom and dad ever tell you their testimony? And I can never remember my dad telling it, my, a testimony, okay, or my mother. But I know they are Christians. And I know somewhere along the line they accepted Christ. And so uh, it, it, at the footnotes, okay, in the NIV on verse uh, 21 to 24, it said this about so what. And I was, you know, I was talking to my sister last night, that question, and it was 930. My brother lives in... Uh, Morehead, Minnesota, so it's 1130, so I better not call him because he's really an old guy, and uh, he's 80. And so what happens is that, but I just figured he's already asleep. So I texted him, but he didn't get back to me this morning. If he heard the testimony of my mom and dad since I was the youngest. But anyway, we, have, we should have certain traditions, special dates or special places to help our, your, our children or our grandchildren will learn about God's work in your life. Do you understand that uh, after Joshua died, he was a great storyteller. After Joshua died, basically we had the judges, the book of Judges come along. And there are some bad judges, and there are some bad things. You know what? People forgot the power of God. People forgot what happened at, at, uh, on the Jordan River. And that's one generation uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, president of the United States, one time he said, well, one, if one generation starts losing their freedom in this country, we're going to lose it all together. And uh, it can only, uh, one generation can make a difference. And after that, you know, uh, the people sinned against God. The people forgot what God had done. Uh, people forgot to tell them the stories. We need to tell people the stories about how wonderful and how gracious and how powerful our God is. Uh, and so underneath that, on that study note, it says, do you take time to tell your children or your grandchildren what God has done for you? Children, have you ever asked your parents, all right, how were you saved, Mom? How were you saved, Dad? What happened that you went from one situation to believing in God the Father and believing in Jesus Christ, okay? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And so do you take time to tell them that? Do we take time to say, talk about how God forgave us and how God saved us? Uh, did you, have we ever taken time to tell others how God has answered our prayers? Have we ever talked about to others how God has supplied our needs? Retelling our story will help keep memories of God's faithfulness alive in, in our family and the people around us that we know. I love to hear how people came to accept Christ as their personal Savior. Like last week, uh, Greg, I, told, I asked Greg if, I didn't ask him, I told him, okay, that, uh, that I was going to talk a little bit about his testimony. And he gave his testimony last week in, in great Greg fashion, okay? 
You know, what's interesting is that we, we know about God in our minds. Do we know about God in our heart? Do we have that emotion? Do we have that feeling that comes over what happens to us, what is happening to us in our life? And, uh, and so, you know, what's really um, neat that Barb was there, okay, because she gave birth to Greg, and then she gave birth to Greg again, okay, partly. She was partly involved in that. She was really involved with the first birth, okay? But the second birth, she sat down with her son and led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a mother that brought him into the world and also helped bring him into the next world, heaven. <laughs> okay, what an amazing story, okay, about leading your uh, children, okay, to Christ. And so one of the things I, how I took away from this, and my brother-in-law, Bob, who's passed away, was a pastor for 40 years. My sister said last night, when you give the lecture, okay, or the sermon, all right, Bob always said, okay, all you got was a lecture or a sermon, but what you need is you need an application. And the application is what are you, how are you going to tell your story to other people? How are you going to tell your story for your, to your children? I don't think my children have ever heard my testimony even though I've given it lots of times, many times. And uh, so one of my goals is to sit down, write it out, and go sit down with my children and my grandchildren and tell them how I was saved, all right, and so forth. Vicki was saved when she was three or four. She was saved, and she led her parents to Christ because they came to church, and, and they were going to stay, all right, to hear the message, and they both went forward. And my wife and his, her sister was going to grade, their grade school kids. They always dropped them off, okay, to go to church, go into Sunday school, and they took off and did their thing. And what happened is my wife saw my, her mom and dad come to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior, okay? And so what happens here, what am I going to, as a, as a believer, I want to tell my children, okay, how Jesus Christ came into my life and how he has changed my life and, made, and I've made him Lord of my life. There's a couple. Uh, Miriam Charter uh, was a missionary to uh, communist uh, Romania. And she's, she grew up in, uh, uh, she was, uh, her parents were missionaries in uh, communist China. She was a baby. And uh, uh, when Mao Zedong took over, okay, uh, he said all Christians, had, Christian missionaries had to leave. You have one day to pack your stuff. You get to take one suitcase, and they walked out of China. And they put Miriam, who was just a baby, and her mother on this uh, fruit truck or whatever, kind of a truck going down the road. The rest of the family walked, all right, and the father walked and so forth. And they came to Canada. They went to Prairie Bible Institute, and Vicki became best friends with Miriam and, and uh, so forth. Anyway, she went off to Romania under the uh, terrible communist dictator, and uh, Vicky wrote it down, how am I supposed to say it? He said, think of chow, think of chess, and think of coup, okay? Chow chess coup, okay? And he was, he was the most, uh, one of the worst communist leaders throughout the world and at that particular time. In fact, he was executed on December 25th, 1989, okay? That right out in the public square. And so she went, when, when, he was the, the dictator. She would sneak in from Vienna, and she'd pretend like she was a, a guide. Sometimes she dressed as a peasant, 
and she would go in to and talk to uh, pastors' wives, uh, Bible studies under closed doors, under uh, blinds, and all that kind of stuff, all right, in secret. And uh, she went in there. I remember she asked Vicki if she, uh, we had a baseball camp, and Vicki used to order these big bags of uh, coffee. Could you send me some bags of coffee? That's how I bribed the guards at the border to get in. They, they like this coffee, so I'd always give them the coffee. say, go ahead, get in there, all right? And so she would go in, and she'd minister uh, secretly to pastors' wives. One generation. And then she, she went back, and 35 years late, later, in 2020, she went back, and they had a big conference, and they brought all these uh, women in, okay, who had been converted to the fifth generation. She talked with the first generation, all right, and these people came, about three to 400 women came in, and she spoke, and then there was a whole series of speakers about uh, coming to know Christ. And, and she calls her book Regeneration. And what happens, generation after generation, okay, became believers, and there was 300 people that came. It all started with the first generation. But you know what? If we don't tell others, then the second and the third generation is not going to hear. And uh, it's so important that we do that. Uh, this uh, last week, I have one of my former students and ball players. Uh, he used to be a superintendent of schools up at uh, Edmonds, and he lives in Linden today. His name is Nick Brossett. He's dying of cancer. And he's, uh, he, last August, he was pancreatic cancer, and then it went moved to the liver. And there's a duck there that... Uh, that has collapsed, and he's had to put stents in and so forth. But he gave his testimony to a bunch of men and talked about how God has been so uh, wonderful in his life. And he, he, uh, so he sent me the, the message, and I was listening to it, and he's dying of cancer. And he says, you know, I have a wife from a second marriage. I have a 30-year-old deaf son. I have two young people, okay? I, and I know that my, I might be passing away because of the, the uh, doctor says it's terminal, and you're supposed to last six to, uh, months to a year, and that was last August when he said that. And he said, you know, I want to uh, I want to stay here because I got obligations here. But you know what? The more I read, he read uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, and the more I read about it, the more I'm looking forward to heaven. And so kind of like Paul says, uh, for me to uh, live as Christ and to die is gain. And so he says, I got this conflict happening, okay, and so forth. And he said he read, I read part of that book. And he said, you know, uh, they said that there possibly could be uh, your pets in heaven, okay, Randy Alcorn from his book. And uh, so anyway, so if you have a pet dog, maybe your dog will be in heaven, maybe before you, or maybe your dog will be heaven and you won't be. <laughs> so think about that one. Okay, so anyway, uh, I, I got two yappy dogs in the back. Every time I go out of my back door, these two little dogs are about that big, okay, and they, they bark the whole time. So I hope they're not in heaven. Okay, so <laughs> but I got this other dog that's named Bud, and I feed him. He, he's the nicest dog. He, he's uh, with Greg Thompson, who runs the G&D truck for opening your car door when you lock it, okay, and keeps your keys in there. And that dog is the best dog. I love dogs that aren't mine that are really nice and don't bark. Okay, so anyway, because I don't want to feed the thing, okay, and pick up stuff. 
So anyway, uh, what I'm just saying is Nick Rossett dying of cancer, telling these men, you know, I'm not afraid to tell people about Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid. I used to be kind of hesitant in doing that. Well, I'm not afraid anymore. I don't care what they think because I'm going to tell others about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell them in a loving, nice way, but I'm going to tell them about what Jesus Christ is. If we want a full house, we need to start telling people about Jesus Christ. And uh, so there's uh, Miriam Charter went over there. Uh, she uh, met with these people, and she wrote a book about the generations that followed in the footsteps of that first generation that she taught. And uh, she's quite a gal. I always remember that uh, she lived in Vienna, and she loves junk food. And she was a, a woman after my, should I, no, a, a woman who's very much like myself. I like wheat thins and diet Pepsi. That's what keeps me alive. I don't know if you knew that or not. So anyway, here's, uh, you know, here's her said, hey, Vicky, could you please send me bags of corn, uh, of uh, Fritos, Fritos, okay? And so Vicky would send her Fritos because she just loved eating Fritos. But there's a gal that spent a few years telling other people about Jesus Christ behind the Iron Curtain, behind uh, a communist country. And uh, so anyway, uh, what's your challenge about applying this? What, what God has done great things. Can we tell the stories how he's done great things in our life? Everyone that has, has, is a Christian has something, a story to tell. And uh, how you be, how, what you were like before and what you were the day you came to Christ and what, how Christ is working in your life and God is working in your life today. So in closing, uh, uh, they say seriously, Vicki uh, took homiletics at uh, Prairie. When she went to Bible school, homiletics is how to give a sermon. And I probably butchered this one, but that's fine because you know what? There's many different ways to give a sermon. And I, get, I didn't give, she says, three points and a poem at the end. Okay, so I gave you five points. All right, so I messed up there. I have two poems for you, not just one, two. You get special. But before I do that, please consider Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't know Christ, as your personal Savior. Uh, it means the world. He's going to be with you through thick and thin. He's with you through cancer. He's with my wife had brain cancer. Uh, right now, God is with Gary and Don and family, okay, and all those things. So uh, anyway, uh, so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, end the message with a, a poem. And, uh, my favorite poet Okay, I'm not into poetry too much. My wife used to uh, write poems for people and so forth. And uh, my favorite poet is Ogden Nash. The reason why is because he's funny. The poem is simple, and you can understand it. You know, sometimes I took poetry in school, and the poor teacher had to tell me what was going on. Okay, because I had no idea. <laughs> okay, hey, I'm going to ask a stupid question, but what does that poem mean? Okay. You know Ogden Nash's poems mean something. For example, the problem with a kitten is that eventually it becomes a cat, okay? <laughs> the other one, this is the one I memorized, okay? When I was a freshman in college, we had to, the, during orientation, we had to take these young ladies to dinner. And right in the middle of the dinner, they say, hey, Dave, get up and tell us a poem. So I had memorized Ogden Nash. Celery raw is good for the jaw. Celery stewed is more quietly chewed. 
So, <laughs> but the two poems I want to leave with you is this. Ogden Nash also said this, how odd of God to choose the Jews as a, as a special people. Okay, they were a small group. They've always been around. Wherever there's something going on in history, there's the Jewish people. I've studied that uh, over the years. I used to teach a Middle East class at school. But then I like the second one a lot better. And not odd to God to choose the Jews if through one Jew the rest get blessed. Because of one Jew, Jesus Christ, we are blessed, not only Jew, but also Gentile. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the people who are willing to listen. We pray that uh, we can take some things from this uh, uh, chapter, Joshua 4, and may we use it in our lives. May we use it to be uh, 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 witnesses for Jesus Christ, okay, wherever we go, what we say and what we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Words of benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we, that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.